Section 1 of the National Geographic Magazine, Volume 8, November 1897. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Patagonia by J. B. Hatcher. Patagonia from the Spanish Patagon, a larger clumsy foot is the name commonly applied to that portion of south america lying between rio negro on the north and the strait of magellan on the south and embraced by the atlantic and pacific oceans it thus has an extent from north to south of about one thousand miles and a maximum breadth of nearly five hundred miles the name dates from fifteen twenty when magellan on his voyage around the world observing near his winter quarters at san julian certain large human footsteps patagones gave that name to the country although spanish settlements were founded at san felipe and at other places in patagonia as early as fifteen seventy nine more than forty years before the landing of the pilgrims at plymouth rock yet it is still a very sparsely settled and little known country especially throughout the interior of the central region with the exception of the settlements along rio negro and the welsh colonies on the river chubut there are no important settlements in the interior and in the country lying to the south of the latter stream the entire settlements are confined to a few sheep farms scattered along the eastern coast from port desire to sandy point punta arenas in the strait of magellan on the western coast there are a few unimportant settlements at otway station and skirring water in the extreme south while on the north most of the settlements are confined to chiloe and the other larger islands the western coast of the mainland and most of the interior is inhabited only by roving bands of indians which in the former region include closely related tribes of canoe or channel indians who live almost entirely in small open boats of native design constructed with considerable skill from large pieces of bark either from the antarctic deciduous beech phagus antarctica or from the evergreen beech phagus petuloides sewn together with sinew or flexible whalebone the latter is thrown up in considerable quantities along the shores of this coast at present the indians are usually clothed with bits of cheap calico fashioned into rude garments that of the women resembling loose skirts suspended from the shoulders and usually extending somewhat below the knees while for the most part the men and women are at present clothed with some sort of cloth usually obtained by barter from the whites yet examples are not entirely wanting of individuals still clinging through choice or necessity to that more primitive state in which a narrow girth about the loins is deemed sufficient with sometimes the addition of a piece of sealskin held above by a single thong passing around the neck and over the shoulders and below by another about the body so that it may be readily shifted to any desired position according to the direction of the wind these indians feed almost exclusively upon shellfish which they are able to pick up along the shore while the remains of an occasional seal or sea otter cast up by the waves or the same animals taken alive with their spears serve to vary their diet 
perhaps in no other people in the world are the actual necessities of life reduced to so few as among the channel islands of this region with no constant habitation they move about from one sheltered cove to another so that their occupation of any particular place is entirely dependent upon first the abundance of the mollusk upon which they live and second when these are well nigh exhausted upon the condition of the weather on a few earthen sods in the bottom of their canoes they keep constantly burning a small fire which always seems just on the point of going out and over this they all bend when not engaged in collecting the animals for food which they usually eat uncooked and without other preliminary preparation for their shelter on land notwithstanding the inclement weather that prevails almost continuously they erect exceedingly inefficient and primitive structures consisting of only a few branches of trees the lower ends of which are stuck in the ground in an almost complete circle while the upper ends are carelessly thatched together thus forming a sort of low conical wickiup with an opening on one side these together with their canoes two small paddles with which the latter are propelled one or two spears of harpoons made of bone for the capture of seals and one or more rather well-formed vessels made of rushes and usually of the capacity of about a gallon used in gathering shellfish fulfill all their domestic requirements notwithstanding the exceedingly primitive manner in which they live it is evident from the great accumulation of shell heaps in many places periodically occupied them that they have inhabited this region for a considerable period during which little if any alteration has taken place in their habits and customs the indian tribes east of the cordilleras are of teeluche or aracania stock and in general appearance habits and customs they are quite different from and far superior to those of the western coast perhaps as a race no people in the world are better developed physically than are the delquiches of southern and eastern patagonia while their size has been considerably exaggerated by many of the earlier travellers yet the fact remains that they are a large and physically well-developed race the men have an average height of about five feet ten inches and the women of about five feet six inches in both sexes the body is well formed and while the features are without doubt far less striking than are those of certain of our tribes of indians yet their countenances are usually such as to inspire confidence in their peaceful intentions and to allay feelings of uneasiness in the mind of the traveller who may be unwillingly thrown among them in the construction of their toldos or tents they have advanced one step at least over that shown by many nomadic tribes living in north america or elsewhere and that while having no permanent residences they are nevertheless not entirely dependent upon the resources of the immediate vicinity in which they happen to locate for materials with which to construct their shelters for they always carry with them a covering usually made of skins stitched firmly together in such a manner as to fit more or less precisely a framework of poles also carried for the purpose with some tribes of north american indians these easily transportable habitations are known as teepees the frame of which consists of a series of long poles arranged in a larger circle at the base and meeting above where they interlock in such a manner as to afford mutual support and on the outside of which the covering 
formerly made of skins but now usually made of canvas is stretched thus forming a perfect cone when closed in all such habitations among our north american indians so far as i am aware this entire enclosure is unobstructed by partitions and no attempt is made to divide the interior into separate compartments so as to afford a certain degree of privacy to individual members of the family the toldos or tents of the deuelches are usually composed of the skins of about fifty adult guanacos sewed together in sections which when fitted together are so designed as to form the top one side and both ends of a huge box one side of which is much higher than the other and is left open the framework of this box consists of three parallel rows of poles forked above planted in the ground at a distance of about four feet from each other in the direction of the length of the box and six feet in the opposite direction the poles forming the first row or that on the open side of the toldo are usually about seven feet in height in the next row now running through the middle of the interior they are about five feet high while three feet suffices for the series at the rear in the forks of these uprights poles are laid and over the whole the skin covering is stretched these toldos are usually about twenty feet long by twelve feet in width that portion of the interior between the two higher series of uprights may be considered as the living room while in the rear small partitions extend from each of the posts in the third row to the opposite one in the middle row thus dividing the space into a series of sleeping compartments from four to six feet in width and sufficient to accommodate one or two persons i think the condition of affairs should be regarded as a decided advance over that found in other tribes with transportable habitations and that it has a decidedly beneficial influence upon the social relations of the teoliches i do not doubt that we have here represented three stages in that development which has led up to the nineteenth-century dwelling with all modern conveniences can hardly be doubted most primitive of the three is that of the channel indian who once in each week or two throughout his entire life spends perhaps half an hour in gathering the branches to construct the rude wickiup which forms his ideal of a domestic habitation the teoliches of southern patagonia are almost entirely unacquainted with the use of firearms but they have an abundance of horses and dogs by the aid of which together with their bolidoros bolas they are able to capture guanacos and ostriches more than sufficient to supply them with food from the skins of these together with those of other animals they construct the coverings for their polos make their clothing and bedding and have sufficient left with which to manufacture the beautiful fur capos or mantles so highly prized by the europeans for the latter they consequently find a ready sale from the proceeds of which they derive a revenue ample for the purchase of considerable quantities of wachaki which those better qualify than myself to judge consider as very bad whisky perhaps to some there will be a satisfaction in the reflection that bad whisky sooner or later makes good indians the surface of patagonia is naturally divided by physiographic features into two regions an eastern comparatively level plains region and an extremely mountainous western region 
the latter extends in a narrow strip throughout the entire length of patagonia and exhibits everywhere intensely rugged mountains clad at their bases with luxuriant forests while their summits are forever covered with great fields of snow and ice which form glaciers often descending far below timberline and constituting the sources of many of the numerous mountain torrents emptying into the pacific as well as most of the larger rivers of the eastern region which after emerging from the mountains follow deeply eroded valleys in the plains and discharge their waters into the atlantic politically patagonia is divided into essentially the same districts as physiographically the western or mountainous region belongs to chile and mostly included in the territory of magellan with the seat of government at punta arenas the eastern or plains region belongs to argentina and consists of the territories of santa cruz chubut rio negro and a part of neuquin to the absence of exact knowledge regarding the real physical features of this region is due the vexatious boundary disputes at present existing between argentina and chile formerly the lofty ranges of the cordilleras were supposed to form the natural watershed of this entire region and in the earlier boundary treaties negotiated between the two countries it was stated that a line connecting the highest peaks which divide the waters of the pacific from those of the atlantic should constitute the national boundary line it has since been ascertained that in many instances at least streams flowing into the pacific cut entirely through the cordilleras and in some cases have their sources well out on the plains so that were former boundary treaties interpreted literally much territory supposed to be of considerable value mineralogically and extensive tracts of rich grazing lands all now held by argentina would revert to chile not only has there never been any attempt at a topographic survey of the country but throughout vast areas over the plains region of central patagonia the watercourses are located on all the government and current charts as merely conjectural while in the region between lake san martin and the territory of neoquin no authentic map showing the locations of the principal streams flowing toward either the atlantic or the pacific has ever been attempted that part of this region which was visited and traversed by the writer and his assistant mr o a peterson during recent explorations in behalf of princeton university and the bureau of american ethnology and especially noticed in this paper lies between the headwaters of rio chico and rio santa cruz and the strait of magellan the principal overland route will be found located on the map from different points along this route shorter excursions were made in all directions the plains region of patagonia may be considered as consisting of a series of benches or steps which appear as successive elevations on the surface as one proceeds from the atlantic coast overland towards the cordilleras the precipitous bluffs of the coast rising in places to a height of nearly five hundred feet form the first step in the series and from this the seceding benches gradually increase in elevation until along the base of the mountains an altitude according to darwin of three thousand feet is attained the escarpments constituting the limits of each of these seceding benches form irregular but somewhat parallel lines 
which conform not only to the general direction of the present coastline but also to the courses of the great transverse valleys at the bottom of which flow the large rivers of eastern patagonia this series of benches or steps may be seen not only as one proceeds from the coast toward the interior of patagonia but also on either the one or the other side sometimes on both and of all the greater watercourses of this region distant from the coast and near the mountains they doubtless represent seceding bluffs formed along the coast and mark successive stages in their final elevation of this region which took place toward the close of the pliocene period the occurrence of this series of benches along the sides of the river valleys of this region is additional evidence in favor of my view that the great transverse valleys of patagonia were in existence prior to the last submergence of this region in the pliocene and during which submergence the marine cape fair weather beds were deposited during the elevation that caused the close of this submergence there was distributed over this region the great boulder or shingle formation teoliche formation of amaguino of patagonia these benches along the watercourses are not merely river terraces formed of alluvial materials but are composed of the original strata constituting the santa cruz supra-patagonian and patagonian beds as shown in numerous exposures they are often many miles in width and i think show conclusively that throughout certain periods during the elevation of this region these valleys formed deep embayments into which extended the waters of the atlantic some of the more important of these valleys may even have formed straits connecting the pacific and atlantic oceans as has been claimed by darwin another prominent feature over the patagonian plains is the occurrence of numerous volcanic cones appearing usually in groups and at places remote from the cordilleras these craters although now extinct have been active during comparatively recent times as is evidenced by the numerous small lava streams to be found in many places and which are seen to have flowed directly from some one of these craters down over the sides and into the valleys the present small watercourses where they have adapted themselves to the curves of the valleys and the inequalities in the surface of the bottoms of the latter and do not extend into strata forming the sides of the valleys such lava streams of comparatively recent origin always present an irregular hummocky surface with numerous caverns and are composed almost always of very vesicular material a splendid example of such a lava stream may be seen in a small canon on the southern side of the rio chico of the gallegos river about two miles below paliaiki near the point where the present national boundary line crosses the chico probably these small volcanoes were active throughout a considerable period in tertiary times and largely furnished the materials of the santa cruz beds that they were active during the depositions of the santa cruz beds is evidenced by the occurrence of lavas included between successive strata of those beds which owing to the absence of disturbance in the latter can hardly be considered as intrusive these extinct volcanoes are scattered over the plains in a not entirely irregular manner as before stated they occur in groups there being usually from three or four to as many as a dozen in each group within a radius of perhaps five miles 
these crater areas occur at irregular intervals on the plains of patagonia from near cape virgin at the eastern entrance to the strait of magellan to as far north as the country visited by us least and most likely for a considerably greater distance for the most part they are found over an area extending parallel with the cordilleras and distant from eighty to one hundred and twenty miles from them in places they rise but a few feet above the surface of the surrounding country and some of these may not be craters but simply elevations in the surface of the lava due to a heaping up of the materials resulting from the intersection of two or more streams while flowing in many cases they rise several hundred feet above the surrounding country having immense craters or bowls on their summits and present unmistakable evidences of having been active volcanoes within comparatively recent times whether these craters should be considered as lateral cones dependent upon the greater volcanoes of the cordilleras and as having derived their molten materials from the same reservoir or as an independent system the materials of which were derived from a distinct reservoir it is difficult to say from the similarity of the basalts known to occur in the two regions however i should be inclined to the former view between the series of volcanoes and the cordilleras especially in the region lying south of santa cruz river there are wide open plains entirely unobstructed by either extinct volcanoes or lava fields another interesting feature prominent in the topography of patagonia especially in that part of the country lying east of the crater region is the occurrence of numerous shallow salt lagoons at the bottoms of great depressions or rather excavations from one hundred to three hundred feet or more in depth scattered over the surface of the plains i have described these lakes and discussed their origin in a previous paper already cited on the geology of the region at a distance of ten or twenty miles from the cordilleras the shingle or boulder formation increases greatly in thickness and is composed of much coarser materials near the base of the mountains the materials constituting this formation are not distributed in a uniform manner over the surface so that the latter loses its level plain-like appearance and presents numerous small rounded hillocks composed of heterogeneous masses of angular stones rounded boulders and finer clays and sands these materials were evidently deposited as terminal moraines in late pliocene or early quaternary times such deposits are especially noticeable in all the larger valleys near the cordilleras where they are frequently of great thickness and left as barriers by the receding glaciers they now aid in confining considerable bodies of fresh water which as lakes extend in a more or less continuous chain all along the base of the mountains among the more important of these lakes are argentina viedma san martin and buenos aires all these lakes extend far back into the otherwise almost inaccessible recesses of the cordilleras where they are fed by numerous glaciers none of the lakes have been thoroughly explored and mapped and their exact size and shape are as yet undetermined there are no more rugged mountains anywhere in the world than are the cordilleras of patagonia they rise directly from the plains on the east and the sea on the west to a height in some places of more than ten thousand feet and present myriads of inaccessible peaks without so much as a single 
practicable pass so far as has yet been discovered for more than a thousand miles on the west they are invaded by a labyrinth of bays channels sounds and inland watercourses which for beauty and intricacy are unsurpassed and probably unequalled on any other coast the intensely rugged nature of these mountains and of the pacific coast is doubtless largely due to the comparatively recent age of the former for from the highly inclined position of the miocene strata supra patagonian beds all along the eastern base of the mountains it is evident that while the actual birth of the latter may have taken place during mesozoic times yet the greatest development was not accomplished until the miocene and hence they now present numerous sharp peaks bold lines and rigid angles which the eroding elements in nature have not yet had sufficient time to soften yet it cannot be said that they do not harmonize well with their surroundings for only that which is rugged in the extreme could comport with perpetual storms which forever rage about the summits and the terrific onslaughts of waves that constantly attack the basis nature always produces most perfect harmony and as these lofty peaks are lowered and their sharp angles rounded by erosion just so will the causes of the truly terrible storms that now prevail here be removed and equally harmonious conditions preserved perhaps even more pleasing if not so startling increasing in beauty like the splendid canvas or mural painting as the brighter and more vivid colors are gradually softened with age according to its flora patagonia may be divided into three regions characterized not so much by differences in species represented for one of these regions may be fairly considered as furnishing all the species of plants found in the other two as by the quantity and quality of the vegetation the first of these may be designated as the eastern coast region and consists of a narrow belt of fairly good grazing lands extending along the coast from the strait of magellan to port desire all the available land is here taken up by sheep farmers mostly from the falkland islands in scotland with a few english germans french spaniards and native argentinians and chilenos the second region consists of almost barren high pampas and usually equally barren river valleys it extends from the western border of the first region to the base of the cordilleras and is entirely uninhabited so that while the vegetation is indeed exceedingly scanty it nevertheless suffices for the support of considerable bands of the guanaco and the reja the so-called ostrich of south america the third region is that of the cordilleras and is far richer than the other two both as to species and in the total amount of vegetation throughout the first two regions trees are unknown the vegetation consisting entirely of grasses herbs and a few small shrubs never attaining a height of more than a few feet among the more common of these shrubs are two small resinous evergreens with a decided odor of pitch they belong to different families and are distinguished by the inhabitants according to the color of the foliage as mate verde and mate negra they form the south american tea which is largely used in patagonia and elsewhere a species of berberis calafate with bright yellow flowers and dark purple rather tart edible fruit is common everywhere 
while along the watercourse as far in the interior the incense bush and a species of leguminous shrub often attaining a height of five or six feet are not uncommon the dead trunks and branches of these shrubs provide sufficient fuel for the traveller in patagonia in the cordilleras forests abound consisting for the most part of two species of beech phagus antarctica and phagus betuloides the winter's bark dremus winteri and toward the north a few species of conifers on the eastern slopes of the mountains the vegetation is not nearly so varied as on the western and, and in many places over vast areas only one species of tree is to be found viz phagus antarctica the deciduous beech this condition prevails especially about the headwaters of rio chico and rio santa cruz and on all the upper tributaries of maya river a stream of no mean size which we discovered in this region flowing to the pacific and named in honor of general idelmiro maher the late governor of the territory of santa cruz throughout all the forests of the cordilleras mosses hepaticas ferns and lichens occur in the greatest profusion the stones trunks of fallen trees the basis of those still standing and even the ground itself are often covered to a depth of several inches with these plants forming a soft carpet of rich colors exceedingly pleasing to the eye and surpassing in beauty any exhibition of foliage plants if i may so call them that i have ever seen the faunas of the plains and mountain regions differ more widely than do the floras for in each are found species wanting in the other the most striking and most abundant mammals met with over the plains are the guanaco auchenia uanacos and two species of dogs sometimes erroneously called foxes canis azare and canis magellanicus the former species is much the smaller is of a light gray color with a black spot at the base of the tail and is quite tame and exceedingly common everywhere on the plains the second and much larger species is rather shy and is found only in the mountains the puma or mountain lion Felis concolor is abundant while a smaller cat perhaps some species of lynx is not uncommon a small skunk mephitis patagonica was formerly abundant but a few years since they were almost exterminated in one winter over a large area along the southern coast by some disease apparently contagious among them their skulls and skeletons are now to be picked up in great numbers and occasionally a live specimen is still met with only one species of armadillo is at all common in the region visited by us and it does not extend south of santa cruz river deer are absent on the plains but one species is fairly abundant in the mountains it is about the size of our virginia deer of a rich dark gold color the male's arm with a pair of two-pronged horns i killed about fifteen of these animals and saw several others but never observed one with more than two points on each horn we nowhere observed the larger species of deer said to be abundant in the cordilleras farther northward rodents are extremely abundant especially in the valleys and along the bluffs of the rivers and smaller streams in the vicinity of the mountains where the entire earth for a depth of nearly two feet is literally undermined over areas of many square miles in extent 
with subterranean passages which greatly impede the traveller whose horse drops in at every step halfway to the knee in some regions so abundant are these burrowing rodents especially in the sides of the bluffs that they become real and not inconsiderable agents of erosion that they have aided considerably in producing many of the present topographic features i do not in the least doubt not so much by the actual removal of material as by the production of a condition throughout the surface of the soil and rock such as to render it more easy of being removed by recurring rains among those rodents contributing most to the facility with which the bluffs are here being eroded are various species of mice and especially two species of centomis whose ability and propensity for burrowing can scarcely be overestimated formerly rodents were very abundant all along the coast but since the introduction of sheep some ten years ago they have disappeared almost entirely from the coast region and the larger species are now rarely seen there there is a considerable variety of birds in patagonia waterfowl are especially abundant as are also birds of prey i presume that the number of hawks and vultures is scarcely exceeded in any district of equal area elsewhere in the world several species of plover grouse and snipe are to be found on the pampas while thrushes wrens and sparrows are well represented condors are plentiful not only in the cordilleras but also along the more precipitous river bluffs and in the lofty barrancas of the coast of the atlantic as far northward as port desire the ray or so-called ostrich is abundant on the plains and is occasionally met with in the mountains beautifully coloured red and black flamingos and swans are among the more striking inland wading and swimming birds in the cordilleras a small green parroquet is very abundant several species of flycatchers are plentiful while two woodpeckers and two or three thrushes are common a jacksnipe occurs about the open streams and parks and five species of owl were taken of freshwater fishes there does not appear to be a great variety but we succeeded in finding some of the streams fairly well stocked with two or three species of splendid edible varieties sand lizards are seen in great numbers and present many different colors and very considerably in shape especially in the length of the tail frogs are present though rare but we never saw a snake of any description of insects the cleopatera seemed best represented butterflies were represented by but few species those usually of the less conspicuous varieties dragonflies are rare there are considerable varieties of ants but bees wasps and other hymenoptera are not abundant End of section one.